This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Cleaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, we have a special episode for you this week. We're going to be discussing the Humana Value-Based Care Annual Report. And this is a report that Humana puts out every year to spotlight the progress of value-based care physicians and how they're achieving better outcomes for their patients with Humana Individual Medicare Advantage. This is a report that covers four key areas, prevention, outcomes and utilization, patient-physician experience in cost and payments. And uh, we're really privileged to have Humana, who's a, been a longstanding member of our Institute for Advancing Health Value, represented in this uh, podcast and having one of their leaders discuss how these results are highlighting what Humana is doing to support their physician partners and helping patients achieve their best health. Listeners, we're very pleased to welcome Dr. Kate Goodrich. She's the Chief Medical Officer for Humana. In this role, she provides executive clinical leadership for the insurance and center well businesses, and she has accountability for physician engagement, Humana healthcare research, and the health equity and bold goal bodies of work. And before coming to Humana, Kate was at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, where she was the director of the Center for Clinical Standards and Quality and the CMS chief medical officer. This is a great conversation. I know you're going to appreciate hearing what Humana has been up to. Well, make sure to access the ninth annual Humana Value-Based Care Report. The link is in your show notes. It's a great companion to this discussion. And without further delay, let's now hear from Kate Goodrich, Chief Medical Officer for Humana, as she joins us this week in the Race to Value. Dr. Kate Goodrich, thank you so much for joining us today on the Race to Value. We're glad to have you and excited to talk with you today about Humana's Value-Based Care Report. Well, I am so happy to be here. I appreciate you inviting me. This is a phenomenal topic just in general. So I am ready to dig in. So Dr. Goodrich, in this recent value-based care report that's issued by Humana, it highlights the physician progress and the patient outcomes that you all are having. And as I understand, it's embodied by a metaphor. At the Humana Louisville headquarters, there's this large wooden ship that's in the in a glass case that's prominently featured in the lobby. And it has a symbolic purpose that reminds everyone at Humana of the collaboration that's necessary for all of those that are working 
uh, for the betterment of member and patient well-being. And it's there to remind everyone in Humana that you have to row together to make progress and help those that to which are being served and, and make sure that they have healthier lives, you know, and and that includes the physicians, the nurses, the health coaches, the pharmacists, the health plans, and so many others. So it seems like collaboration and teamwork are critical to what you're doing at Humana, both now and in the future. Can you expound on the importance of collaboration for success and value-based care and why aligned incentives are so important? Yeah, I think you articulated well the three levels of collaboration that frankly are foundational to success in value-based care arrangements. So let's start with the first one, which is collaboration within the care team and with the patient and their caregiver. That is absolutely foundational to how the work gets done. So it is not just the patient-physician relationship that matters in value-based care. At the end of the day, what really matters is that the incentives are aligned across the care team and with the patient and their caregivers or their families or whoever's important to them. And what I mean by that is on the care team, the incentives for getting the work done for taking care of patients really needs to be shared values, shared incentives across the care team. And by the care team, I mean the physician or the primary care clinician as the quarterback, the support staff within that practice, such as nutritionists, nurses, physician assistants, pharmacists, the front desk uh, administrative support, all of their incentives need to be aligned. And those incentives need to be aligned about around specifically better health outcomes. Financial incentives matter. And so what the goals are of those financial incentives, what you're driving towards matters a lot in order to be able to optimize care of patients. And so those incentives have to allow for the time and the infrastructure and the technology to be able to collaborate within a practice. In, in a fee-for-service environment, those incentives aren't aligned. And so there are practitioners, whether they be, again, nurse practitioners, physicians, or physician assistants, often are seeing a patient every 10 or 15 minutes because the incentive is around quantity of care. Whereas when you have your incentives around quality of care, that collaboration across the care team and with the patient becomes the way to actually deliver that high quality care when you're incentivized to improve quality outcomes. And so that is just a foundational principle and a foundational way of working. I think the second level that you talk about is collaboration with communities. Well, you've heard the, the phrase, it takes a village, take care of patients. And I would say particularly in senior-focused primary care, it takes a village. Yes, the care team within a practice, all those different professions that I mentioned, is really important. But most of the time a patient spends in this world is not with that care team. It's really important time. It's valuable time. But that's, you know, less than 1% of their lives is in that sort of direct one-on-one uh, -on -one or team-on-one interaction. Patients' health care is primarily determined by their environment. 80% of health outcomes is dependent upon social determinants of health, the environment in which a patient lives, and behaviors. And so collaboration with entities outside of just the clinical practice 
also matters and is important. And so what we find is that primary care uh, clinicians who are in value-based arrangements need to have relationships with community organizations, whether that be transportation services, whether that be uh, food banks and other ways for patients to access healthy, high-quality food that matters so much for health outcomes. Whatever that might be, having those community connections to either refer patients to or to build programs around to address those health behaviors that uh, are so closely associated with health outcomes also becomes really important when your incentives are around better health outcomes. So quality and outcomes and not just quantity. And then the third level that you mentioned is on national collaboration. And I think there's a number of ways that you could think about that. One of which may be collaboration with you know, national organizations, including organizations that are really focused on driving accountable care, value-based care. And to me, from my experience, actually working in the federal government and the policy environment, but also since I've been at Humana, is that collaboration across entities that are focused on value-based care also becomes really important. Remember, we are early on our national journey to transition to value-based care more robustly across the, com- across the country. We've made a lot of progress in the last just five to 10 years. More and more, for example, Medicare patients are um, aligned with value-based care practices or payments than ever before. Whether you're talking about you know, nearly 50% of Medicare members are part of Medicare Advantage plans, which are really focused on total cost of care and health outcomes, or they're part of accountable care organizations. We've seen huge increases in recent years, but there's still, and we've learned a lot and there's still a lot to learn. We've learned, we've had to experiment over the past several years to understand the best ways to deliver value-based care and to drive towards uh, those incentives around quality and outcomes. And so practices that are doing this have really benefited from learning from one another and being able to share and spread their best practices. Because again, the focus really is on better health outcomes for patients. And so when you're focused on that, then other concerns that maybe are more present in a fee-for-service environment uh, really kind of melt away. And it really is about sharing how we actually get to better health outcomes so that that benefit can then spread to more and more people, to more and more Medicare or Medicare Advantage members. And so there are a number of national collaborations that are focused on that learning so that we can uh, continue to accelerate our national transformation towards value-based care. You know, a great example of what I'm talking about with these national collaborations around value-based care is, in fact, the Institute for Advancing Health Value, of which Humana has been a proud member for some time now. This is a terrific example of an organization that brings together interested parties, whether it be payers or uh, provider organizations, to really learn from one another about the delivery, the design and the delivery of value-based care. So I just think that that is a really terrific example of what I'm talking about with national collaborations. Dr. Goodrich, thank you so much. Yeah, we've definitely enjoyed having Humana as part of the Institute, and it's been a very valuable and important relationship to us. 
And as you mentioned, our mission is to convene industry to facilitate peer learning and the sharing of best practices and value-based care transformation. And this podcast as well, it's a labor of love to support the healthcare industry and the provision of meaningful intelligence to guide a successful value journey. It's an exciting time right now to see the trajectory that we're on in terms of value transformation. The arc of history is bending towards progress, and I'm grateful to be a part of supporting the industry in that journey. And with regard to the annual Humana value-based care report, you know, there's clear evidence that Humana is driving real progress. The report shows that MA members affiliated with value-based care physicians outperformed those in non-value-based settings in all HEDIS preventive screenings and adherence measures. For example, 80% of diabetics managed by providers in value-based arrangements have their blood sugar in control, compared with 60% of diabetics managed by providers in fee-for-service arrangements. There are other notable performance indicators supporting the impact of value-based arrangements, and those include patient satisfaction scores, the STAR scores, and the cost savings. I'd love to hear you share more about those results that you've achieved and reported on. I'd love that. Let me first start by talking about how widespread value-based care uh, relationships are within Humana. And I am very proud of Humana's leadership status around value-based care. It's, it's, it's something we just have a core fundamental belief in and not just a belief, but we've organized most of our strategy around value-based care. So we have about over 74,000 primary care physicians who had value-based relationships with us in, in 2021. That's, that's a lot and it's been increasing every year. And these physicians cared for more than 3 million Humana Medicare Advantage members. Those value-based clinicians and patients connected with one another more frequently throughout the year than their non-value-based care counterparts. And that might be in-person visits or even telehealth visits. And we've certainly seen a significant increase in telehealth visits after COVID and in particular with our value-based physicians. And so we have a number of great statistics. You, you cited one of them there. I'm real proud of the, the diabetes control metric, which is so, so important. But let me just maybe articulate a few others. One of the things that's near and dear to my heart is avoiding hospitalizations. I'm a hospitalist by training. And while you may think that I, I of course, love seeing patients in the hospital because I think I can have a real impact there. What really is always disheartening to me is when uh, patients get readmitted to the hospital. Uh, patients don't want to be in the hospital. They want to be at home in their beds. <laughs> and so what we have found is that Humana Medicare Advantage members um, not only spent 251,000 fewer days in the hospital than fee-for-service members, we also know that they had fewer, 90,000 fewer, in fact, emergency room visits. And so I think that just really uh, tells you something about the value of Medicare Advantage and value-based care. We also know that Humana members who were treated by value-based physicians were more likely to have completed all of their preventive screenings and care than those who are in non-value-based settings. So preventive screenings for breast and colorectal cancer, diabetic eye exams, osteoporosis management, all of those screenings uh, were between 6 and 10% higher for our members who saw clinicians in value-based agreements versus those who were attributed to clinicians not in value-based arrangements. And as you mentioned, the most uh, pronounced variance was, around, was with Humana members with diabetes. 
and, and almost 20% more Humana members attributed to value-based care physicians had controlled blood sugar. You know, blood sugar control and diabetes control, and that's the hemoglobin A1C for those of you with uh, medical backgrounds, is, is a really important leading indicator for health outcomes like avoiding complications of diabetes, whether that be ending up on dialysis or blindness or, God forbid, leg amputations. So control of blood sugar is a really critical leading indicator, and it's something that physicians and other clinicians use to uh, ensure that their, their patients uh, can avoid those terrible outcomes that I just mentioned. Um, that includes, by the way, also just hospitalizations. Um, I, another area that's near and dear to my heart is um, trying to ensure that patients get appropriate care and avoid what we call low value services. We know that unfortunately there's still a fair amount in our country of provision of low value services. So think, you know, MRI or CAT scan for routine low back pain without any red flag symptoms. That's just one example. So, you know, these are services, tests, treatments, procedures that provide little to no clinical benefit. And we're always working to ensure that our members get the right care, that they actually, instead of you know, going directly to an MRI, that for routine low back pain, which is one of the most common reasons people go to the doctor, right? Um, that instead of going right for that MRI, unless they're, of course, very serious red flags, that instead our members get referred early to physical therapy and get the right um, treatments for that back pain right out of the gate. And so we've looked at this, comparing a number of different low-value services between our value-based and non-value-based arrangements. And what we have found is that uh, our members receive 9.2% fewer low-value services than those that are enrolled in fee-for-service Medicare. And members who receive care from primary care physicians in value-based payment models experience the fewest instances of low-value care. Because remember, the incentives are around improving health outcomes in the most efficient way. Um, so those are just a few examples of what we have found and that you'll see in our value-based care report this year. I love it, Kate. Such incredible and powerful results that you guys are achieving. I wonder if you want to speak a little bit to the cost savings as well. So I've really focused on the improvements in patient outcomes, whether that be preventive care or outcomes like uh, avoidable hospitalizations, that sort of thing. But actually, the money matters too. We have a cost problem in this country. And one of the main ways to really address that problem is through the provision of value-based care, because not only does value-based care improve health outcomes, lead to improved health outcomes, but it also, because of the importance of avoiding low-value services, for example, or keeping people out of the hospital through um, you know, regular interactions with their members and really focusing on their the quality of care delivered, by definition, that also leads to lower costs. So our report does highlight some of those successes as well. So in our report, you'll see that 50% of Humana value-based programs earned shared savings in 2021, and that overall cost savings in 2021 for value-based care relative to original Medicare is 20.1%. That's very significant. 
14.3 cents of every dollar spent on members that were paneled to value-based primary care doctors in 2021 went to the physicians managing the care of that member. In contrast, 6.4 cents of every dollar spent on members pa paneled to non-value-based primary care physicians in 2021 went to those physicians. And so in summary, Humana value-based care physicians earn almost three times as much of Medicare's fee schedule. And those in the most advanced stage of the continuum, so full risk providers, earn five times the Medicare fee schedule on average. This is really extraordinary. So in summary, if you're a, a Medicare member in a value-based care arrangement with Humana, not only are your health outcomes likely going to be better, you'll get more preventive care, you'll have fewer days in the hospital, fewer ER visits, but also there's a healthcare savings associated with that. We definitely see lower costs for our physicians and our members in value-based care arrangements. And if you're a primary care physician, frankly, uh, you will make more money in value-based care arrangements. Our data show that. Uh, our physicians who are, our primary care physicians who are in value-based arrangements keep more of the healthcare dollar than if they're in just a fee-for-service arrangement. So all around, value-based care is good for patients and good for primary care physicians. Dr. Goodrich, those results are incredible. And you have a lot to be pleased with as the findings of the report are a clear illustration that Humana is moving the needle on value-based care. And through these collective efforts, Humana is demonstrating that the value of value-based care is not just for industry, but for the individual patients in the form of added benefits. In fact, as I understand, a Humana member averages around $500 in annual additional health plan benefits covering such things as home care, prescription delivery, and health food cards when they're associated with a value-based physician. And I just can't help but imagine the difference the collective industry could make by also joining on that path towards benefit enhancement and leveraging that for um, higher value care. Could you elaborate on the impact of added health plan benefits and how that relates to patient engagement and care outcomes? That is such a good story, I think, and something we're really proud of here at Humana. So our value-based care research found that Humana Medicare Advantage members averaged $500 in annual additional health plan benefits, such as what you mentioned, home care, prescription delivery, healthy food cards, when they are associated with a value-based physician. I think you also probably know that Humana has long had a very strong commitment to understanding the health-related social needs of our members. And that really starts with understanding what those needs are. So we have long supported and we continue to support an investment in and dissemination of research on effective interventions to address those social determinants of health and other barriers to good health outcome. And that really starts with the data. We need to understand what those needs are. So for many years now, Humana has been collecting member-level health-related social needs data. And that is really the first step to intervening and providing social risk-informed care. So in 2021, Humana screened 32% of our Medicare Advantage members for their health-related social needs. And that's up from 15% in 2019. 
And in 2021, we also reached out to more than 180,000 of our members who were identified to have social needs, and we enrolled them in programs aimed at overcoming these barriers. And understanding those detailed health-related uh, social needs of our members has really informed our benefit design. So you mentioned the healthy food cards. We were really one of the first to have that as a benefit. That's now actually fairly standard across the industry, but we really led the way there because we had a really deep understanding of that need with our members. And we're in the process now of trying to understand what the impact of delivery of the, that benefit has been. So let me just give you a couple of other things that we've done uh, in, in this realm. We have also invested in programs that improve our uh, MA member care, including our members who have open gaps in care. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we track for the purposes of improving high quality, delivering and improving high quality care. But also these are really important STARS measures around medication adherence, for example, for our members with diabetes or with high blood pressure or high cholesterol, uh, getting regular preventive screenings, such as for colon cancer and breast cancer. So when we know that our members have not uh, been able to be adherent to their medications for whatever reason it might be, or that they haven't gotten their, their screening. For a long time now, we contact physicians about our members with open gaps in care, because sometimes as the payer, we have more detailed insight into that than uh, a physician might, especially a very busy physician. And that allows then for us and for the physicians to then to reach out to those members to be able to get their annual checkups or to be able to close those gaps in care. Um, we also help with appointment scheduling if that's a barrier for our members. We offer programs focused on reminders for prescription refills for management of their chronic condition and in-home testing for members in need of certain types of screenings. So our outreach campaigns have closed more than 350,000 gaps in care per year. Uh, and that's paved the way for 10% of members who were previously non-compliant with a screening to identify a particular condition and then have the opportunity to seek more focused care. So we're very proud of this, of our increasingly deep understanding of our members' needs and then designing programs, whether they be uh, benefits or they be outreach programs to close gaps in care and ensure that our members get the care that they need. Dr. Goodrich, thank you for sharing that additional detail on benefits enhancement and how it's helping to address the health-related social needs and closing care gaps. And I want to talk about where how the recent report also discusses at length the success that Humana is having in improving medication adherence and value-based arrangements. Can you please elaborate on that? So Humana is doing a lot in this space. So some of it is directly through our value-based care arrangements, and some of it is separate from that. And I'll start with the latter. We've had long had a number of programs through our pharmacy. You know, um, Humana, we have our own pharmacy it's called Central Well Pharmacy. We've done quite a bit related to medication adherence very successfully over the years. I mentioned some of that direct outreach. That outreach can come from pharmacists. Um, it can come through our uh, care managers. Uh, it can come through interaction between uh, Humana and primary care physicians to highlight where there are those gaps in medication adherence so that physicians can recognize that that's happening and then address it also themselves. 
I would say that uh, medication adherence has also become the strategic priority for Humana. So we look for any opportunity where Humana is interacting with a member to be able to address any medication adherence problems. Within the construct, though, of a value-based care practice, I think this is also something important to point out. And what I'm going to say here really comes also from my own personal experience treating patients, which is that non-adherence to medications um, sometimes uh, traditionally can be seen as a, a, uh, a patient non-compliance issue. And I would argue that that is actually rarely true in the in the sense that patients just quote don't want to take their medications. I just have come to firmly believe that there are so many barriers to our patients taking their medications, just getting their medications that we can actually substantially address. When physicians have more time to spend with their patients as they do in value-based arrangements and particularly as you go along the continuum of value-based uh, arrangements from upside benefit only from a, a reimbursement perspective all the way to full risk. That again, incentivizes high quality care and uh, by definition uh, allows physicians to have more time with their patients. And it's time with patients that is really needed to address barriers to taking medications. And so when physicians and the care team have more time to spend with their patients, that then just naturally allows them to understand what those barriers are and then to address what those barriers are. And sometimes addressing those barriers is really just through conversation. It's just through understanding the barrier, helping patients to understand the rationale behind those medications, side effects to expect how to recognize those side effects and how to address those side effects, which might mean changing medications. And so there's so much that goes into medication adherence. It's not just, you know, be sure you go pick up your prescription at the pharmacy. Sometimes it's, let's get you into the Central Well Pharmacy mail order program so that you can get your medications reliably and you don't have to go make a separate trip to your local pharmacy, right? That's one way. Another, again, is just understanding the medications and why they're so important. Um, and that does take time, which again, being in a value-based arrangement provides that time so that for each individual patient, um, the care team can understand what they need to do to maximize adherence to medications, um, whether it be financial or transportation or just understanding. So we're very proud of all the work we've done in this space. And I think the results uh, show that we can really make a difference here. I love it. Yeah, I mean, you're making such a difference and value-based practices attribute much to care delivery success by creating this holistic view of patient care that's necessary to coordinate care and engage patients more meaningfully in their treatment. And that means going beyond simply just understanding what physically ails patients to identifying the not so obvious factors that negatively impact well-being and determine how to best appropriately address them. And, you know, Dr. Vivek Garg, uh, the chief medical officer for Humana's primary care organization that operates Centerwell and the Kaviva clinics, and they, ca they care for about 110,000 Humana MA members. Um, he was quoted as saying, you know, seniors have unique clinical needs when compared to the rest of the population and 
Humana's senior-focused primary care model is a holistic approach to healthcare. It gives our patients access to a physician, nurse, social worker, pharmacist, behavioral therapist, and together our teams monitor and address factors, and they have a major impact on the patient's health. And most importantly, he says, preventative care reduces the risk of health issues and empowers patients to improve the health and quality of life. So Dr. Goodrich, I wanted to understand more about this holistic model of primary care that Humana has built and how it focuses on this uh, model of team-based interdisciplinary care and disease prevention and, and the strategies that go along with it, you know, such as annual wellness visits and clinical registries. Can you talk about that and, and also the success of your population health program for seniors and primary care? Yes. First of all, so Dr. Garg is absolutely right. Seniors have unique clinical needs. I would say they also have unique social and even emotional needs that it really is well within the purview of a primary care physician and the care team to address. So when you're treating a senior, you're not just treating the patient. You really have to involve the caregiver as well. That is one thing that is so important as part of the care model is bringing in the caregiver, if there is one, or at least helping to identify who a caregiver could be to participate in the care of the patient. I think that is a fundamental part of the care model for uh, not only Central Well and Caviva, but also our alliance partners, whether they be, you know, Cano Health or Oak Street Health and, and Chen Med and whoever others that Humana uh, works with. So that, that I think is one piece that is, is really foundational. The other is understanding that seniors uh, respond to treatments and therapies and diagnostics often differently from, say, a commercial population. I'll take medications as an example. Seniors respond somewhat differently, more likely to have side effects and adverse events to never mind just one single medication, but often seniors are on six or seven or more medications. My own mother is on about 12 medications. Um, and so being able to have the time and the infrastructure and support and technology inside the clinic to help deliver the right kind of care that allows for balancing not only how we think about prescribing and treatments, but also balancing the other aspects of holistic care, such as the member's built environment and their safety within their own home, nutrition, you know, social connectedness. You really have to balance all of those things and address all of those things and have, that's not easier said than done. It's not just, yeah, we're going to talk about each of those things at the appointment. It's having the time to be able to do that. It's having the right care team members to be able to address all of those things, whether that be a behavioral therapist, a social worker, certainly a pharmacist and a nutritionist. All of those resources have to be part of the care delivery model in order to get to some of those results we just talked about. So that entire team has to monitor and address all of those components and factors that are not just about medication treatment or diagnostic tests or even preventive tests. All of these things have a major impact on the patient's health. So that's, I think, what Dr. Garg is talking about when he says seniors have unique clinical needs and you've got to organize your care model, 
your infrastructure, your care team, and the delivery of care around all of those different needs. And that is particularly important for seniors. You know, it's easy to understand listening to your explanations about why you're achieving the success that you're getting in reduced hospitalizations. And and you mentioned this a little earlier, and I'd love to explore it more in depth with you. And you're describing these increased interactions with patients. And by spending this time and being able to do more with the patient, you're avoiding hospitalizations by 6.4% over their non-value-based care colleagues and, and keeping them down to 42 per thousand members. And uh, admitting 6% less and and visiting the ER 9% less. And so is there anything else you'd like to add from where the success is stemming from and about the increased PCP interactions contributing to fewer hospitalizations and ED visits? And, and maybe you can talk a little bit about the utilization outcomes that Humana and its partners have realized. Sure. Again, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. People want to spend the night in their own beds at home, not in a hospital bed, Right. So I think that has always been a really important focus for primary care and a particular value-based primary care. Again, with those aligned incentives, I keep going back to, right? So if you are incentivized to keep people out of the hospital, you're going to change how you deliver healthcare as a primary care physician, right? So we've actually done a lot of work in this area. And one of the things that I think we all know is that in particular for certain chronic conditions, think congestive heart failure, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, or asthma even, because so, uh, some seniors do suffer from asthma as well, um, diabetes. Those are examples of chronic conditions that there's actually a lot of good evidence out there that hospitalization for exacerbation or um, long-term effects of those conditions can be avoided with good primary care. So, and, and again, you've got to have those incentives uh, as a primary care physician that that is what you have to focus on is avoiding those negative outcomes like hospitalization for exacerbations. So that requires time, that requires resources, that requires the right infrastructure to be able to do that. And not only do we have some data from our value-based care report, but actually Humana's healthcare research team has also done a lot of work looking at the effect of value-based care delivery on those types of outcomes. So in a recent JAMA Open Network study, for example, we found that when compared to fee-for-service, Medicare Advantage beneficiaries seeking care from value-based physicians had lower rates of acute care, and in particular, a 15.6% reduction in those avoidable hospitalizations for chronic conditions that I talked about. That's pretty substantial. So our research team has been really busy looking hard at the difference in healthcare utilization between uh, Medicare Advantage and traditional Medicare beneficiaries who have complex care needs. So needs that I just talked about are, are patients who have congestive heart failure and diabetes and COPD, and in fact, often will have two or three of those conditions. And what we found is that compared to traditional Medicare, Beneficiaries with these complex care needs enrolled in Medicare Advantage had lower rates of hospital stays, emergency department visits, and 30-day readmissions. And in fact, the largest difference between Medicare Advantage and traditional Medicare 
was observed for Medicare Advantage beneficiaries attributed to primary care organizations that were reimbursed under two-sided risk arrangements, so both upside and downside risk. And we know, again, the farther you go along the value-based care continuum to full risk, uh, the greater that those differences are. So we are, again, very proud of those results, but I think uh, that's some really good data through a well-designed research study in the JAMA Health Forum uh, in 2022, showing those differences and how impactful those types of value-based care arrangements really are on uh, our members and their healthcare unit utilization. So, you know, Dr. Goodrich, as I hear you speak about the impact that you're making, I can't help but think about the impact on patient satisfaction with the better care that your members are receiving and, and you know, how that impact is so closely correlated with physician satisfaction. You know, these things are just tied together. And I'd love for you to go deeper into talking about the member ratings of physicians. I mean, they're 25% higher than value-based care physicians, than non-value-based care uh, physician counterparts. And, and I love to understand the relationship, you know, between like normal fee-for-service care delivery and how that imparts a great amount of stress and is prompting this great resignation that we've been hearing about and all the associated moral injury and burnout. It, it would be wonderful to kind of hear your perspective on uh, and also how Humana is addressing this relational component to the delivery of medicine and, and the experience that your provider groups are having. What you're referencing here actually is reflected in our star ratings. So star ratings are really important for our members as they are selecting health plans. Um, they're important for uh, physicians because, uh, frankly, they are a big influencer by the delivery of care of, of our star ratings. So star ratings are reflective of members' experiences with their Medicare Advantage plan. They are assessed annually by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They release ratings using a five-star ranking system. Plans are assessed on more than 30 measures. And we're just really proud to say that in 2023, 96%, so that amounts to almost 5 million members, are in contracts rated four-star or above. And 66% are in contracts rated 4.5 stars or higher. Nearly all of Humana's group Medicare Advantage members are in rated con are in contracts that are four star or higher. So we're very proud of how we uh, have the work that we have done to uh, get to four and five star rated uh, plans because what that means is that we are uh, doing really well on not only quality measures but also, as you mentioned, on patient experience uh, with their plans, which CMS has placed a premium on. Uh, these are measured through our, our CAPS measures. CMS has determined that that is one of the most important measures for members, and I would have to agree. Um, and so that is something where we've had a laser-like focus over, over many years now. Um, and I think that's reflected, our, our high performance is reflected in the ratings that I just shared with you. So um, I think for patients, uh, those things really matter. As a physician, I will tell you that experience uh, delivering care has been challenging over many years. And that is particularly true for primary care physicians. As you say, there's been a lot of burnout. That's been a topic of national conversation for some time now. Uh, we, of course, do have the uh, the great resignation in many sectors, but also true uh, for physicians and, frankly, for nurses very much as well. 
And so allowing physicians to practice, you know, at the top of their license, to have the time to spend with their patients to deliver the care that they know needs to be delivered. Physicians just want to do high quality work. They want to deliver high quality care to their members. And when that doesn't happen, so often it's because of the working environment that they're in, where they are sort of feeling like they're on this treadmill of having to see a patient every 10 minutes. But in value-based care arrangements, that changes. While there's undoubtedly still improvements to be made, uh, physicians, when physicians have more time, when nurses have more time to spend with members, when the incentives are aligned to promote high quality care and better health outcomes, and, and frankly, when physicians can then be rewarded financially for delivering that high quality care, they're happier. So all around, this is good for both patients and for physicians. Dr. Goodrich, I'd love to dive a little deeper now into the what you guys are doing as a next step with, you know, you mentioned the estimated $6 billion in savings. Can you speak to how that savings is fueling reinvestment and in future innovations? You mentioned the Humana Research Team. They showed expenses increased 16% in the past fiscal year for primary care physicians and health systems, but this, the steady stream of income from capitated payments has made a significant difference in allowing value-based care physicians to focus on programs that help maintain the margins and improve care and outcomes. I'd love to hear more about your, your future reinvestment strategy. Sure. I would say as a general principle, when we see savings, there's a few ways that are, I think are really important to reinvest those savings. One is into better benefits, right? Um, one of the flexibilities that's so important for Medicare Advantage is the ability to uh, have benefits that traditional Medicare is not able to provide. And so we are constantly seeking to better understand our members' needs. We know our members are not just a monolith, <laughs> that depending upon where you live, depending upon your age, your comorbidities, the your your background, your ethnic background, your um, your experience, lived experience uh, in your community, whatever it may be, that your needs are going to be different. And we really seek to understand that very, very deeply for several reasons, but one of which is so that we can ensure that we are able to provide uh, the right benefits to the right members um, when they need them. So that the analytics around our members, the qualitative work to understand our members is so important. Uh, so reinvestment back in benefits is, is one piece of it. That's, that's real important for us. Uh, on the care delivery side, uh, I think you mentioned sort of reinvestment back into that care delivery, which I think is also incredibly important. I've said a few times on this podcast that we as a clinical community and as a community of people who care a lot about value-based care and trying to optimize uh, the impact of value-based care are always looking for ways to improve, to learn from each other. And sometimes what that means is um, we need to be able to invest in maybe it's technology, better technology, better use of electronic health record systems so that we really can use our EMRs um, to help understand our patients better, for better population health management, for better analytics um, and insights into how we're doing in uh, our quality metrics, for example. So we may decide that reinvesting back into technology 
um, through our electronic health record and optimizing the use of our electronic health uh, record is important. We may decide that reinvesting into uh, ensuring that we have the right care team within our clinics. So reinvesting into people, uh, ensuring that we have the types of skills that our members really need, whether that be behavioral health or nutrition. Um, or partnership with community organizations so that we can ensure our members have access to all the things that will help address their health-related social needs. So those are just some examples of how we think about that reinvestment. There's undoubtedly more, but I think you get the idea that uh, it does take resources to be able to deliver that really complex but also holistic care. Um, and so the savings that we see help us to then be able to invest in those those types of things that really allow for that more holistic care delivery. Dr. Goodrich, we've really enjoyed learning from you today and hearing your insights and understanding more about Humana and the priorities that you have to drive value-based care. And as we wrap up our conversation today, I'd love to discuss your portfolio growth in the future and adding more Humana members that are being treated by PCPs and value-based care arrangements and, and what, just what your goals are for the future. Um, and, you know, also, you know, how are you going to go about tackling some of these ongoing challenges and risk adjustment and health inequities and interoperability, social determinants of health, and, and just making sure that you continue on with that, the current trajectory in terms of value-based care transformation. Can you discuss some of the key priorities? And then what would you want industry to walk away with as they look at some of the findings in the most recent Humana value-based care report? Well, I'll start with your first question. We have a number of strategic priorities and certainly, you know, better health is one of the most, you know, prominent there. And so certainly we are focused on growth, certainly growing our uh, Medicare Advantage membership. Also though, growth of our value-based care providers. So we definitely have goals around um, growing the number of uh, central well clinics so that we can uh, provide this type of holistic senior focused care uh, in more communities. Um, so uh, overall, just also growth of uh, the transition of our providers into value-based care arrangements. We've actually had a lot of success with that over recent years. We have increasing percentages of our uh, physicians who are in value-based care arrangements and helping to move those physicians along that value-based continuum uh, is, is a really important goal for us. On the social determinants of health and health uh, equity front, we definitely have uh, a number of goals around closing those health equity gaps. So really partnering with our uh, markets and with our providers to identify ways to close those health equity gaps. We definitely know that our, for example, Black and Hispanic members have higher hospitalization rates, have worse medication adherence. And there's so many reasons for that that we have to really understand and unpack in order to be able to address. So those are just some examples of some of our goals for 2023 and frankly beyond uh, that we're working really hard on. And then you asked about the importance of this report. I think it's really important for the clinical, uh, but also the payer community to see that progress is being made. I often hear that the progress to accelerate value-based care just feels so slow. We've been talking about this for, gosh, 20 plus years, right? 
um, is you know paying for value instead of paying for quantity. And the reality is that we've made a lot of progress as a country. We've also made a lot of progress at Humana. And so I think being able to show that progress year after year is really important so that people can understand that progress is being made. But even more important than that is it's so important for the clinical community and the payer community to have real data that's done uh, and, and analytics that are done in a really rigorous way um, to really see the impact of it. I mean, these are real numbers. These are real impacts to patients. As I've said a couple of times here, patients want to spend the night in their beds at home. They don't want to spend the night in the hospital. They don't want to go to the ER. Um, they want to have their diabetes controlled. And that's just going to happen more, the diabetes control that is, or less, meaning hospitalizations, when members are seeing physicians that are in value-based arrangements. So seeing those results is so important to keep that momentum going. And frankly, it's really important just for the health of our members. So that's why this result, th this report is so important to give us all the confidence that value-based care is working. It definitely has more to do and, and we want to be able to be, have even more impact, but just seeing that it's already having impact ought to be really reassuring and validating for patients, for our clinical communities, and for payers um, to keep the drumbeat going, because um, this this matters. This matters uh, for, for health outcomes. It matters for cost. It matters for patients. Dr. Goodrich, I wholeheartedly agree. You couldn't have said it any better. It's reassuring. It's validating. It's inspiring. I think so many people will have so much to learn from you, and I'm grateful for the time that we've been able to share with you today. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast.